Welcome to Tent Talk, the podcast with Nancy McCrady, where we talk about life under the big tent of God's presence and the provoking process of discipleship. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to Tent Talk. This is Nancy McCrady. I'm opening up a series of conversations out of the book, The Release of the Spirit by Watchman Nee. Without this work of brokenness happening within us, led by the Holy Spirit, invited by us and embraced by us, we will not see the true outpouring of His Spirit from within His sons. It's not a matter of just the releasing of gifts. We must have the release of the Spirit. So here we go, my friends. Enjoy. I can remember back in seasons of my life where I did not yield to the breaking that God was attempting to do in me. And I resisted so deeply because, of course, I thought it's the other person that needs to change, right? God, when are you going to deal with these other people? Why is it always me that has to be the one to change? And so I could sense this resistance coming. Um, in my book, I talk about the faux emancipation, where we feel like we're we're getting free when really we've just you know flipped to the other side of the of the flesh. Whereas before, I may have been people pleasing and you know subservient, and then I get sick of that. And it's not working. So I flip to the other side. And you know what? I just don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. And and we fall for this. It's a faux freedom. It's not real. It's just the flip side of the coin. Right? A quarter is a quarter. Whether it's heads or tails. Flesh is flesh. Whether it looks one way or the other. And so sometimes it requires, why it requires years is because it takes us years to come out of being the people pleasers. Uh, And then we think our freedom is in just not caring about what other people think. And we go through that and we judge ourselves to be, you know, better. And, you know, we just tell people how it is and, you know, all of these things. And then it takes a while for us to come to the end of that. And then we realize, hold up. Uh, None of that's been of the Lord. That's all been self. And I can remember in my own life so many times. Remember, brokenness is a way of life, my friends. (laughs) Right? It is not just a one-time thing. There may be more uh, dramatic seasons of breaking. uh, But it it is an ongoing part of... Uh, of our life, but I required, because of that resistance, I required the Lord to have to deal more strongly with me because he loves me, right? See, on the, on, on the side before the breaking, the Lord may look harsh to you and cruel, and he's not answering your prayers, and why does this go on and on and on? Because we have tried to orchestrate our own freedom, what we think that might look like. And the Lord is after our truest freedom, our freedom unto him to move with him. And I'm going to just say 
uh, there is massive breaking coming to the body of Christ because we have resisted him. We've done our own ways. We have had our own version of goodness and success. We've had all these things that come out of the pit of self. We've had ministry culture, but not kingdom culture. We've had all kinds of ways of trying to get the people of God healed, right, rather than discipling them into who they are and who they are to him. Because it is not enough to just know who you are, right, in Christ. Well, you are who you are in Christ so that you can be who you are to him. And we just continuously stop short and we plateau at certain places and we get comfortable in those places. We settle down in those places because we are satisfied. Well, I've gotten a little bit of healing and a little bit of freedom, a little bit of success, and I'm, I'm pretty good with where I'm at. Well, that's not the same as the Lord's satisfaction because he's not after good moral Christians. He's not after people who know how to perform on a platform. He's not after the good of man. They are after what they were always after, which was Christ indwelling us, that we would share in their, not just in their life, but in their manner of life, that we would be formed, right? Christ would be formed in us, that we would live like them, think like them out of our freedom, then we would be not only an expression of their life, but an extension of their authority. And the first place we have to take authority is over ourselves. I've said it here many, many times. The first place we're going to learn uh, to take authority is inside our own skin. In what we are doing in private, right? Many of us, we know how to do things in public and then close the door, come into private, and just all hell can break loose. And that just doesn't mean that we're fighting and scrapping and sexual sin, although I assure you that is definitely a part of it. But there's a narcissistic flow, right, of just out-and-out demonic control that is happening uh, where we, we may have lost control of our appetites. I think many of us would have to admit uh, that this is something that has to be consistently, right, taken authority over. And all of that comes through the deep abiding oneness. So the breaking has to happen if the spirit is going to be able to break into the soul and then lead the body, right? That all has to happen from the inside of us. There, there comes a point where no one can lay hands on me for that to happen, you can't be matured just because someone lays hands on you. If you are seeking the impartation of your gifting and your preaching and this and that, but who you are with the Father is not the hive, the place where everything flows from for his purposes and what he is after. And you don't take absolute delight and joy out of being useful to him. Right? I know I'm loved by him. My, my, my. Yes, I am loved by him. But a maturing son says, Father, how can I be of use to you? And doesn't feel used. Right? That has to come with the maturing of the actual life of Christ in us. That cannot happen without deep breaking. So there is a massive breaking 
the most redemptive breaking coming to the body of Christ across the board, around the globe, in your house and in mine, in the pulpits of America, right? It is coming. I mean, it's already here to a degree, but it's coming more and more. Right now, God is giving opportunity, if you will, for the doorkeepers to get ready, right? Because doorkeepers are those who enter in for themselves first, and then they fling wide open the door for others to get to him. And this is happening in homes, lives, churches, nations, because the measure that God can get within a person is how he can begin to get to all the other places. And that we don't fight wars that have no spoils, no reward. You see, I'm not going to fight a, a war against topical sin. Of course I believe um, it is sin, meaning it is man living independent from the Father. Of course I believe that transgender, homosexuality, uh, carousing, drunkenness, all of these kind of things, of course those things are sin. The scripture is clear about these things, but I am not going to allow myself to be whittled down, right? Fighting just a topical war, meaning I'm going to go after this one particular thing. I'm here to say that whether it be good or evil, no matter how loving it may look, no matter this or that, when God begins to split flesh from spirit, you begin to realize the enemy has had a strategy to wear out the body of Christ completely by just getting us to get on a bandwagon or a, you know, whatever about one particular thing, right? But if we could begin to understand, right, that deliverance isn't just uh, stop your, you know, transgender stop your homosexuality, stop your sexual sin. That's fornication also for all of you out there who are heterosexual, who are sleeping with people that are not, right, who you're married to, right? Do you understand, which is adultery and then fornication, just sex among people, right? Do you understand it all is included, right? Right, that you understand all of that is in the category, right? of living independent from God, but so is the filth of self-righteousness, thinking that you're not capable of those things, thinking that you're outside of those uh, groups of people, that you could never do that, right? You understand it's all in there. And when he brings the cross and he begins to split between flesh and spirit and you realize you have no goodness of your own, right? That, that it is not about the categories and the degrees of your goodness and all your efforts to try to be better. That all goes in the category of flesh, the efforts of man independent of God. When we step into Christ by his doing and the breaking is happening, oh, my friends, you're not going to uh, have your own pride parade within the church, okay, of thinking somehow, look how awesome I'm doing. I'm not capable of those. Other, we're all capable of all things, 
And if you need it proven to you, trust me, that's a part of the breaking process. Oh, it can be proven to you. Because many times in our pride, we are blinded and we don't see our own capacity for sin from God's point of view. Therefore, the breaking happens. That's why I opened up by saying so often I was pointing out to God, look at the other people. When are you going to deal with them? And he's like, Nancy, (laughs) can you believe that he would say this to me? One time he said to me, Nancy, I've got eyes only for you. I was like, no, no, look at other people. Don't you see them? You know? And God's like, Nancy, I have eyes only for you. Now, of course, he's not saying that there's nothing to deal with in those other people. But what he was dealing with was, I really deep down believed if those other people would get fixed, I would be fixed. I'm only in trouble or in difficulty, right, because of other people. This is a major part of the breaking. And when he does it, my friends, oh my Yes, there is pain. Yes, there are wounds, as we heard in the first chapter of Release of the Spirit. But, oh, the wounds of the friend of all time are so faithful. I don't want to be delivered from the wounds that God has worked in me. Oh, yeah, my hip is out of joint. Oh, yeah, he touched me, right? Right, and you will never want that. Uh, dealing of the Father towards you to ever be removed. Because when he is done, there is also great joy that breaks forth. One of the greatest marks that the breaking is of him is eventually uh, there is true life and deliverance flowing with great joy and an understanding of how well we're going to speak of his ways that his ways have dealt bountifully with us. Oh, how necessary that was. All the clouds of confusion that were on the, the, the front side of the breaking, oh, they've dissipated. And you can see clearly, and you are in such agreement with him of the necessity of your own breaking because you're being broken of your dependency upon self. It's, it's wrapping around you. The way it's been enmeshed and entangled, though you are born again, it is still that hard husk of self has still been attempting to keep you, right, static where you can't move with God. God knows what he's doing. And he knows how to deliver those who are his. If you're in some kind of multi-year doom and gloom and you think that's the breaking of God, right? I'm saying to you, then if that's the case, then oftentimes it's our resistance that keeps dragging it out, right? That it's not the breaking of God when he breaks us of our dependency upon self and he delivers unto him. We are delivered unto him. We're not just delivered from one thing. Self is losing its complete grip on us. And therefore, once we're delivered from it, we can see it more clearly. And that's when you know, whoa, whoa, how long had I been kissing that snake? How long have I been wrapped up in the pride of my own self-righteousness or my bitterness and I knew I was right and those people were wrong and they need to pay and, and we remained in our own 
flesh condemning the flesh of other people. It's an insidious trap. And only the power of the cross wielded by Holy Spirit within us can deliver us. There is about to be a massive breaking in the body of Christ. And things that have been hidden are about to be seen. Narcissistic strongholds in the pulpit. Narcissistic, which is nothing but self on steroids. Okay. And and control and where... Um, whole systems, people stay in control no more because God is about to step forward. There's a scripture I'm going to try to remember to bring this forward in our next uh, episode that says, shh, everyone, quiet. God is on the move in his house. I think it's in Zechariah somewhere. I'm going to find it. But, oh, my friends, God is on the move And I want to be on my face before him, letting him work in me one more time, allowing him in a fresh way to take me to new depths with him, which will require a fresh breaking, right? Everybody's crying out for fresh oil. Well, guess what? That's going to be the fresh crushing. Fresh oil comes from fresh crushing, my friends, and I can trust the father. I do not trust me or anyone else in the, in the to crush me, but the Father knows what he's doing. Oh, yes, he does. So let me just read, as I close out today, this uh, opening portion of chapter 2 that's titled Before and After Brokenness. But I pray that what I've shared with you, that you will take hold of, that you will uh, also say to the Father, You do as you know that is necessary in this season of my life and do it with my full cooperation. Here we go. The breaking of the outward man is the basic experience of all who serve God. This must be accomplished before he can use us effectively. When one is working for God, two possibilities may arise. The first is the unbrokenness of self, forming a hard shell around the spirit. It is possible when the outward man remains unbroken that his spirit may be inert and unable to function. This means that if he is a clever intellectual person, his mind governs his work. Or if he is a generous charitable person, his emotions control his actions. His work may appear successful, but it cannot bring people to God. The second is the mixture of his spirit with his unbroken self. His spirit may come forth clad with strong thoughts or emotions of self. The result is that both his spirit and soul are mixed and impure. Consequently, his work will bring men into a mixed and impure experience. These two conditions illustrate how unbroken self will weaken our service to God. If we desire to work effectively, we must realize that basically it is the spirit which gives life. John 6, 63, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Sooner or later, if not on the first day of our salvation, then perhaps 10 years later, we must recognize this fact. Many have to be brought to their wit's end in order to see the emptiness of their labor and to recognize the uselessness of their many thoughts and varied emotions. Regardless how many people can be attracted by your thoughts or emotions, the results will still come to nothing. Eventually, we must confess, it is the Spirit which gives life. The Spirit alone makes people live. Your best thought or your best emotion cannot make people live. 
Man is brought into life only by the Spirit. Many who serve the Lord will eventually come to see this fact only after passing through much sorrow and many failures. Then finally, the Lord's Word becomes meaningful to them. That which gives life is the Spirit. When the Spirit is released, then sinners are born anew and saints are edified. When life is communicated through the channel of the Spirit, people who receive it are born anew. When life is supplied through the Spirit to believers, they are edified. Without the Spirit, there can be no new birth and no edification. One rather remarkable thing is that God does not often distinguish between His Spirit and our Spirit. There are many places in the Bible where it is impossible to determine whether the word Spirit indicates our human spirit or God's Spirit. Bible translators from Luther down to present-day scholars who have labored on their English versions have been unable to decide if the word Spirit as it is often used in several places of the New Testament, refers to the human spirit or to the spirit of God. For example, of the whole Bible, Romans 8 may very well be the chapter where the word spirit is used most frequently. Who can discern how many times the word spirit in this chapter refers to the human spirit and how many times to God's spirit? In various English versions, the Greek word pneuma is translated spirit. But this word is sometimes capitalized, and at other times it is written without any capitalization. It is evident that these versions do not consistently agree with each other. Moreover, not one scholar's opinion is final because it is simply impossible to distinguish. When we received our new spirit through regeneration, simultaneously we also received God's spirit. The moment our human spirit is raised from the state of death, we receive the Holy Spirit. We often say that the Holy Spirit dwells in our spirit, but we find it perplexing to discern which is the Holy Spirit and which is our own human spirit. The Holy Spirit and our spirit have become so joined together. While each is uniquely separate, they nevertheless are not so easily distinguishable. Thus, the release of the spirit is the release of both the human spirit as well as the divine spirit who resides in the spirit of man. Since the Holy Spirit and our spirit are joined as one, 1 Corinthians 6.17, many times they are distinguishable in name only, not in fact. And since the release of one means the release of both, the Holy Spirit is touched when our spirit is touched. Thank God that inasmuch as you allow people to contact your spirit, you allow them to contact God. Your spirit has brought the Holy Spirit to man. When the Holy Spirit is working, he needs to be carried by the human spirit. For example, the electricity in an electric bulb does not travel like lightning. Its current must be conducted through electric wires. If you want to use electricity, you need electric wires to bring it to you. In like manner, the Spirit of God employs the human spirit as his carrier, and through it he is brought to man. Everyone who has received grace through redemption has the Holy Spirit dwelling in his spirit. However, whether he can be used by the Lord depends not on his spirit, but rather on his outward man. The obstacle with many people is that their outward man has not been broken. There is no evidence of the sufferings which leave their wounds or scars upon their soulish life. So God's spirit is imprisoned within man's spirit. Consequently, the life-giving spirit... 1 Corinthians 15.45, is not able to break out of the shell constituted with the outward man. 
Sometimes our outward man is active while the inward man remains inactive. The outward man has gone forth, but the inward man lags behind. So there you have it, my friends. Much commentary from me and the reading of the opening of chapter 2 of Release of the Spirit. I pray that you are provoked, that you are being forewarned, that you are heeding what God is saying. Do not let flesh lead you with its fears of, you know, what will happen and what will brokenness be like, right? Be led by the Holy Spirit and allow Him to bring a breaking that will bring the release of the Spirit so that you and He can move as one because that's what they've always desired. Here we go, my friends. Love you all. For more information on Nancy, please visit nancymccrady.com or follow her on social media at nbmccrady.com.